Welcome to Made in Africa. Hello everyone and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Made in Africa podcast. It's been a thrilling start to the African Nations Cup in Cameroon and I hope that you've all been enjoying all of the drama so far. With the group stage action almost over, we're about to head into the most exciting part of the tournament as the knockout stages get underway on Sunday. It should be something really to save with so many potential contenders to win, as well as discussing who will be crowned African champions this year. This week's episode will also feature a deep dive into the annals of AFCON history with our special guest, Ian Hawkey, author of the amazing Feet of the Chameleon book. Okay, so it's about time to welcome my co-host, Roman Osmond, to the show. And unfortunately, it's all turned into a bit of a nightmare for your beloved Black Stars, mate. Ha <laughs> ha yeah, no. What happened? What a crazy game. Well, so many things happen. One of them is that we've crashed out of the Africa Cup of Nations for the first time in the history of Ghanaian football without winning a game. That's what happened. It mm. couldn't have gone any worse for us because we were in the same group with Gabon, Comoros, and Morocco. Morocco, understandably, are one of the best teams in Africa at the moment. But with all due respect to Gabon and Comoros, Ghana should be beating Gabon and Comoros. If you can beat Gabon and Comoros or get results to at least progress to the next round, then you have no business being in the Cup of Nations. And this is it. When we, when we did the preview, I spoke about how we had a very exciting young team. And mm-hmm. sometimes when the team is young, what it lacks is experience coupled with a lot of now revealing stuff that are beginning to come out in preparations and psychology. And half of the problem of Ghana, I dare say, is just coaching. And you can spend it how much you want to. But we lost against Morocco because we went into the game looking for a draw. Mm. We drew against Gabon because we went into that game looking to win it just 1-0. And the the time the game against Comoros will come, around it meant we had our backs against the wall mm. there are a bit of questions about the sending off of our captain Andre Ayu because the yeah. ball was there for the taking it was very questionable absolutely it was yeah. incredibly questionable but you make your own luck as they say yeah. by the time the sending off we're already a goal down a man down and the whole world to take on and mm, so nearly did it as well. I thought, you know, it, everybody, it just seemed like it was going to happen. But there was a cruel twist in the tail at the end there with uh, Comoros obviously getting the winning goal. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, as it stands, uh, they could still get through, but we'll, we'll have to see about that. But uh, I, I didn't want to bring up the, uh, the the preview show, mate, but, you know, your prediction was semi-finals, wasn't it, Pagana? And it's Yeah, <laughs> I predicted that would 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 at least make it to the semi-final only because there were a lot of things. I questioned the the goals in the team because the only great source of goals was Andrea Yu, and he's in his thirties. And yeah, even though we had Tete and Richmond Boachi Adam and a very exciting youngster who has a lot of will and running. In Fatawi Sako, who is going to be an absolute superstar in the near future, I just feel that we didn't get a lot out of the very established names like Thomas Partey, like Barbara Rahman, like Leicester City's Daniel Amate, 
or high flying winger from Rent. Um, I mean, Kamal Din Suleimana and mm. even Jordan Ayu. Um, it's it's just a whole mess. And to repeat your words, it's an absolute shambles and a nightmare. Yeah, and I think there was a, well, there, there was at least uh, one country that was was quite pleased to see you get knocked out. I think there were a lot of South African fans celebrating a bit cruelly your uh, your demise. But I'm sure that you know Ghana is a is a powerhouse of African football, so I'm sure that they'll be back uh, at the next no, Afcon. No. But you, no. you'd hope so anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, you would. Um, and it's also very important to to realize that every time there's a setback, there's that opportunity to go back to reset button and correct. A lot of people have spoken about the need to go back and look at the decision-making in football and, and accept that we are not the Ghana of 2010 where we blew the whole continent apart. But I think that, like I said, half of the problem will be solved if we get a good manager because it's enough. there's enough evidence to prove that if you have a good manager, you can then get discipline. And through discipline, you can get the best out of the players you've got at your disposal. A classical example is Nigeria. Where the football was slow and target. They got away, they got rid of Ken uh, Raw. And then they brought in Augustine Guavon. And look at Nigeria, energetic and flying and have have been tipped hugely to be one of the teams to go on and win the AFCON. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's been it's been a very interesting tournament so far from from their point of view. They've they've done well. So elsewhere, um, just to summarise quickly, um, we we've seen uh, Morocco ended up as Group C winners. Uh, with, with that was a thrilling game as well. We were both watching the Ghana game, but they came back against Gabon and it was a, it was a draw in the end. So that they won that group, uh, which means that Gabon are going to play Burkina Faso in the last sixteen. So that could be that should be an interesting game. And then uh, Cameroon been very impressive. Uh, they won their group. Senegal less so. They've only scored one goal, not conceded any, but they nonetheless won their group. Uh, and, and we're definitely going to talk more in depth uh, about Ivory Coast against Algeria, uh, which is going to be an amazing, massive game. You know, such an enormous game at this stage of the competition. But first of all, yeah, we just wanted to mention to you Sierra Leone and Equatorial Guinea in that group. They've been unbelievable. And for me, yeah, Sierra Leone, have been my, my favourite team in the tournament. Yeah, only because of the fact that they are beginning to actually get some really good stories. You know, Stephen Corker, who mm. used to play for Liverpool and all and played for England. In that very game, Wilfred Zaha made his debut for England against Sweden. Yeah, He played once for England and he's now playing for his parents' country in yeah sets up the goal didn't he the uh incredible again yeah and you could see and you might also touch on the aspect of luck in the points they got against the ivory coast but you need to at least take the lottery to have a chance of winning it and they stayed in the game they stayed Mm. in the game against mighty africa's and you can tell that something is driving them they've got a really remarkable story and it will be interesting to see how they come up against Equatorial Guinea because if they can get something out of the game, then they will still have a chance. And what a story will be for Sierra Leone to be able to make it to the knockout stages of the ongoing AFCON. And again, their story is one of the reasons why we love the AFCON because mm-hmm. it's rare to see countries like San Marino and those you know, European countries 
take on the big guys like England and get a point, they almost always get a thrashing. But Sierra yeah. Leone here holding the likes of Ivory Coast to a pulsating draw will virtually the last kick of the game. Yeah, it's, you're right. I think there is. I think that this, gen, this general strength of African football, you know, that the level is, uh, is is quite, you know, the, the, is quite similar. You have a lot of countries that just, you know, come from nowhere and uh, produce these results. But Sierra Leone, you know, there is a big football ped- pedigree there, and and some good players as well. They've they've done really well to, you know, scout local local players and players from overseas. And actually, it's the local players really that have been the, some of the stars, isn't it? Which is great to see. Yeah, it's it's just an indication of how well their football has been run and the project and the targets that they've put in gradually, gradually to get to where they are. And like you rightfully said, the the gap between the very small teams and the very big teams in Africa, it's not that huge compared to, if you compare it to Europe, the gap between the very big teams in Europe and the very small team is like day and night. Mm, absolutely. And yeah, and the Gambia are doing absolutely brilliantly as well which I'm sure oh we'll God. come on to later. Yeah, they've been a breath of fresh air, haven't they? And uh, oh, have every, obviously have put their place in the next round, but we have to see who they're going to play yet. It's going to be uh, really exciting into the group stages. Um, yeah. But how? I mean, they look like they could go quite far, maybe. Well, I mean, if, if you're the lowest ranked team at the starting of the competition and you've managed to get your way up to the knockouts competition in a team that had Mali with some of the best midfielders in Europe in Haidara and Yevs Basuma and veteran African Cup of Nations competitors like Tunisia, then of course you're doing something right. There's no stopping to what they can get. The, the positive to what you're doing is that in every major competition, there are teams that are the dark horses. Mm. And from this few games we've seen from the AFCON, there's nothing, you can't put a ceiling to what the Gambia can do. They defend very well. They keep the ball very well, and they attack. They attack when they want to. And it was shown against Mali that even though Mali controlled large portions of the game, they consistently produced the most dangerous moments in that particular game against the Malian. So it's for me. I'm I'm happy that the the small countries, and when I say small, I mean in football, in history, mm. have come into the competition for the very first time and punching above their weight. It's such a remarkable story. For for those of us in Europe, because we keep an eye on maybe the big stars and those who play in Europe, because that's where our interest is. But some of the remarkable stories of countries like Gambia, it's just a breath of fresh air. Right then, it's time to move on to the main part of the episode. And I'm delighted to introduce the author of one of my favourite books, uh, I first read Feet of the Chameleon when it came out the year before the 2010 World Cup in South Africa and, and absolutely loved it. And if you haven't had the pleasure yourself, then it's a real must read for anyone interested in the story of African football. Having previously worked in South Africa and Spain, among many other countries, in Hawkey is now at the Sunday Times, as he has been for many years, and is a regular colleague at matches these days in the Premier League. Welcome to Made in Africa, Ian. I'm really delighted to be here, Ed, and uh, uh, let me take the opportunity to say that um, a brilliant book on African football has also come out in the last year, written by you. Oh, thank you very much. And, uh, in, I've got to say this about Ian. Ian, you are an absolute childhood hero of mine, and Feet of the Chameleon is such a massive book. 
and you'd never ever be able to know how much you've impacted people just by putting up that masterpiece. Uh, Raman, that's uh, I'm 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 so flattered. That that's 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 wonderful coming from you as well. Because uh, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I'm really touched. Thank you. Thank well you. said, it I agree. Was, um, and absolutely, well, you know, for my book, it was an absolute inspiration. I've said this to you before, Ian, but it was an absolute inspiration for for me writing my book in the first place and my interest in in African football. Anyway, you know, I don't. <laughs> At the time, I, I knew nothing, and after that, I felt like I knew a bit, a, a lot more. Anyway, so um, yeah, it's it's amazing to have you here. Thank you very much. And so, how have you been enjoying everything in Ken Cameroon so far? It's been quite a good tournament, really, isn't it? Yes, it has. It has, and and I and I suppose you know, predictably enough, um, as we as we moved on in the group phase, it's um, you know the, the the pulse has has got higher, hasn't it? And it's become much more gripping. Um, I mean, as as many have said before, it's um, uh, the circumstances ahead of the tournament made it very difficult for everybody there to get into their gears quickly with the delays, with turning, with players being allowed to to turn up for their countries, obviously with the COVID complications. And and the 2014 format is not that helpful to mm. you know to taking off quickly, is it? There's you know there's some there's some caution. Um, when you know that the third place might get you through, etc. As D-Day approaches, it's been it's been spectacular. Actually, uh, Raman, uh, uh, watching watching Ghana last night, and you know commiserations, obviously. For you. Yeah. Um, I I did something which I've been doing a bit in this tournament, watching the uh, watching the feed on television, and and tuning into a local station for the radio commentary. Which I'd recommend if you can if you can get the timings right. So I was listening to Joy FM last night. Oh, nice! Yeah, mm. and uh, 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 well, that was that was exhilarating or or heartbreaking, depending on your point of view. Mm, that must have been great. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine there wasn't uh, there was a few unhappy uh, commentators and pundits. Yeah, no, yeah, it 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 was it was such a heartbreaking moment, given that the game itself we were really good. But we had we were paying for all the mistakes we made in the previous games because we should have won against Gabon. We conceded after 85 minutes. We should have gotten something from Morocco. We conceded after 85 minutes. And we we gave away a very easy goal against Comoros and picked up an unlucky red card. So everything came head on and Eventually, it was just too much, and we crashed out. So yeah, um, I can understand. Thank you, Ian, for for the kind words. It's interesting. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned uh, the manager earlier, Roman, and and obviously he was the manager at the 2010 World Cup and the famous run to the quarterfinal should have been the semi final and everything. We were all there, I think, uh, in the stadium, and we'll never forget that. But yeah, it, it does feel like they're sort of harking back a little bit to that that era still maybe I don't know what you think you know Andre you obviously the captain was was there uh, and got sent off very harshly yesterday but you know maybe it's I, I, I really felt I really felt for, for Dede through this tournament I mean he you know he lost his temper after the Gabon draw didn't he and um, mm. and you could see the tension and and you know I, I think we can maybe overstress this um, I don't know what you think Raman but you know there is there is obviously a whole generational legacy for for Jordan and, and Dedo, isn't there? With with what happened to their dad in 1992, missing out on the final, 
and you know, having to go back 40 years now to when Abedi was a teenager for the last trophy, it, it does feel like there's this almost crushing expectation which gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and, you know, Dede is now, what, 32? How many more chances has he got? Yeah. To emulate well, his dad. Yeah, at best... The one coming up in Cote d'Ivoire next year, at best, if he stays in really good shape. And Ian, I've just got to add that it's incredible history because in Ghana, we speak about Abedi Pele in a different world. And it's credit to his children that they've been able to even have the kind of careers they've got. And I say that easily, Abedi Pele has got the the, the best football family in the world. And I, why do I say that? The, the, the reason being that Abedi himself is, is regarded as one of the best African players of all time. All his three male children have been to the World Cup. All his three male children have become professional footballers. Are you at a point in time was the most talked about African player in the Premier League when the BBC African Footballer of the Year made a big money move from, from Marseille to Swansea and enjoyed a very decent career in the Premier League and even in the Championship when he went with Swansea. His brother Jordan Ayew is currently on the books of Crystal Palace, had over 40 caps for Ghana, played at the World Cup, played at various AFCONs, and it's a key part of the Crystal Palace setup. Normally, ex-players and their children, you find one who has interest in football and plays to a very decent level. Mm. But he's had all his children make it professional and played at the highest level. And so... Yeah, it's very impressive. Very it, impressive. It's, yeah. it's hard but, to follow. But like Ian says, it is, it is a massive weight around their shoulders, I think. He's right. It's, it's a tough thing. I think... It, 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 they, they both struggled at various times of their career to live up to that. And, they, you know, they always will do, I suppose. It's always difficult to have a, a famous dad, let alone an absolute legend like that. But, you know, do you think, do you, are there signs that you, this is only a sort of a blip, Roman, and you think that maybe Ghana, you know, will be, will be a force to be reckoned with, you know, pretty soon again? Yeah, so this is it. This is why I said in my introduction that the problem, half of it, is that we need to stop living in 2010 and accept the reality and be honest to ourselves and say to ourselves in public the things we say to ourselves in private. What do I mean by this? Let me be clear as I can. We've got some really good talents in that team. There's no way you will be able to convince me that Ghana didn't have enough quality players to come out of a group that had Morocco, Comoros, and Gabon. So that blame goes to the coach. And if you have a coach, it's down to the coach to create an atmosphere and an environment where every other player is coming out with their best results. So in 2010, we played to the strength of the crop of players we had. You can't tell me that we have played anything closer to the strength of players we have. Yeah. We have this guy in France who is highly rated, Kamal Dean Suleiman. Yes, I, I thought he was, you know, I thought he really showed, like, actually, I, I thought the way they, they, they started the tournament um, against 
um, against Morocco, he really gave um, Ashraf Hakimi problems, didn't he? He did. He did. He did. And he's one that has been tipped to go on and have a good, good, good career. Another player we've got that we couldn't get the best out of him was Thomas Partey, the Arsenal midfielder. Mm. Now, Thomas is highly rated in Arsenal. Yeah, That's I mean, he, he was playing really well recently for us and starting to really show it. And then I, I noticed, he, you know, yesterday he was pretty poor as well, I thought. And yeah, exactly. I think it's. I think the pressure really got to them, didn't it? So, yeah, the pressure so, situation. Yeah, so to answer your question, that is, I believe, of course, it could be and it could easily be rectified by a good manager, a very demanding manager and very strict manager. Because if you, we have a very crucial game in two months, that's the World Cup playoffs. If we can make it to the World Cup, that will make up for the disappointment of, of, the, of the AFCON. But to, to, to make up for that, you need to take the right decision by getting the right coach, by getting the right players and getting the best out of the players we have because that chance is there. Hmm. Absolutely. And that was such a carrot, isn't it? And Ian, uh, just to talk about another team, uh, Senegal have been, well, I mean, they got through as group winners, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but a bit disappointing, really. You know, one, only one goal from the penalty spot in the seventh minute of injury time against Zimbabwe. Are you surprised how how uh, meek they've been in attack? Um, I, I am a little bit. Um, I'm I'm not surprised that they they have been a bit lackluster. Again, for the you know the reasons of of, of preparation, the slow preparation, and I suppose there is now the very real promise of of them. Looking more like themselves now that that Bali is is back in action. Although he looked very rusty, I thought in that final group game. But you know he is he is back. He's important. We know how how good he is. Um, and you know they have the they have the goalkeeper who inspires the most confidence back as well. So yeah. uh, you know optimistically, perhaps they paced themselves. They've done the job efficiently enough. Although you know I think probably more nervously than they would have anticipated um but i mean I, I don't know what you think i i i have i have confidence in in their coach ali Yusise. i think i think he knows the team very well and yeah. so would know how to manage a tournament um but um you know he's he's his plans were disrupted um short term before the tournament began Mm. Um, and and you know I, you you always expect that Sadio Mane is is going to have an electric game at some point, don't you? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, you mentioned the Aliusise, and he does know the team, you know, better than any manager probably at the tournament. But I think uh, I mentioned this in our preview that I, th- I think the pressure is on him a bit. Uh, you know, that it's about time that they won Afcon, and uh, you know, I think that the, this is a really good chance for them, and everybody knows it. So. It's really interesting that they've never won it for such a you know such a great footballing country. Yes, it's certainly a great footballing country in 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 this uh, in this generation. You know, since since two thousand and you know the, the the team who got through to the World Cup. Um, yeah, and and you know I, I think yeah we we always like we always like the idea of having a new name on the cup, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I thought I thought that it would be their year, but you know. Um, not so impressive so far, but then you, often tournaments are won by uh, by teams that start, you know, a bit slowly sometimes and find their feet. 
I wanted to talk to you about Algeria, the Ivory Coast, which is coming up an absolutely enormous game. And obviously in the context of uh, some of the biggest surprises of the, of the tournament, which has been a tournament of surprises um, with Algeria, you know, having lost their unbeaten 35 match run uh, and now facing elimination unless they can beat Ivory Coast. Um, why do you think they've struggled so much? It's a sensational cliffhanger, isn't it? And, it, and it, I mean, you don't, you don't want to pick this up too much, but there, there's, um, you know, there is a scenario where you've got three teams, I think, absolutely equal on points by the end of by the end of uh, by the end of the day. So, I, I mean, it's it's so tense, and I think Algeria have looked tense. I think they've looked quite inhibited, and and it's hard to explain why, because you know, you can hardly get better momentum, can you? Thirty-five, is it? Matches, yes, thirty-five games, and uh, you know, I think yeah. I think they'd scored in every game as well until um, yeah, exactly. Sierra Leone, yeah. and then the heroics of the Sierra Leone keeper when there. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. There's been some. There's been some. There's been some excellent goalkeeping, hasn't there? Generally, mm. um, there's also been some. You know, some absolute howlers, but um, yeah, the Ivory Coast yeah. well, again, yeah. Sierra Leone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that pitch was, uh, you know, was, well, absolutely, uh, and and that's where they're playing. You know, that's, you know, I mean, there is so much at stake on this game. And if you've got in the back of your mind that that, that pitch, the turf's going to cut up, then, oh, that really, you know, that really sows doubts. And especially as, I mean, I, is there a footballer in the world who glides over the surface as well as Riyad Mahrez? Mm. And then you confront him with a surface that, that he can't trust, you know? Wow. Yeah, he I mean, um, he he has struggled with that. I agree, and yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and a lot of the Algerian players are quite like that as well. You know, Ben Rama, who missed yes, absolutely in the opening yeah. match. Yeah. You know, and I think is not trusted by the coach. Um, but um, the, the obvious context to this historically is that teams from North Africa tend to struggle in sub-Saharan Africa. And I don't know why. Is, is there a particular reason for that? You can think of either of you. Well, I I I, I certainly think historically. Um, that was the case. I think it's, I think, uh, you know, the, the great Egypt team of a decade or so ago, they sort of put paid to that, didn't they, by, mm. by winning in Ghana and in Angola um, in, you know, when they were absolutely dominating and when they were showing actually other countries how to defend the title and, and to do it successive times. I mean, it, it's, I mean, <clears throat> I think generally in world football, in, in elite level, there's so much more conformity now about the standards of stadiums, the players' accommodation, and all that sort of thing. I think I think that, you know long travel is is less of an ordeal generally. However, uh, you can see that that at least one of the surfaces in Cameroon is is not of the standard that a lot of these players are used to playing, and that's you know that that really does inject doubt into minds and so on. Um, uh, I mean, it, uh, yeah, there's, I think if, if you're in West Africa, especially at this time of year, there are certain climatic things you, you'd be more used to. Um, yeah. but, but this fixture does does put the mind back. I think, Ed, you... you... Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, yeah, that it, there is a, there is a uh, precedent for this because, uh, and it's quite scary really, actually, isn't it? Because the last time AFCON, uh, sorry, the last time Algeria won AFCON in 1990, uh, they they defended their title, um, and like they are doing now, they came down to the last match, 
and they played against Ivory Coast and they lost 3 0. So to be eliminated, yes, it, it was, yeah, it was, it, it was in the group stage, it was a smaller tournament then, it, it was in uh, Senegal that year. Um, and yeah, and they were they were beaten 3 0 by Ivory Coast, and that was you know, that set the that that basically put them out at the group stage. And they were defending champions, and they were you know, they were strong defending champions. Um, and that was the beginning of the great. Um, the great myth-making around the Ivorian goalkeeper, Alain Guameni, who went through the entire tournament without conceding a goal, apart from in penalty shootouts. And then, of course, was the hero in penalty shootouts um, uh, to take them all the way. Um, but, yeah, that was, you know, that was a great shock. And, of course, you know, the, these historical presidents keep being brought back. And, yeah. and the you know, the difference with Ghana's situation is that, Algeria have, have had their, their poor result and, and they're now in the last chance saloon against a very strong team. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, who, who I, th I thought were picking up a bit, actually, in, the, in their draw with Sierra Leone. Um, Nicolas Pepe had a very good game. Um, I thought Wilf Saha looked good. Ed, you're, you're a Saha expert. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he's saying that, that you know, that with those two, they've always got a chance and they can harness them. And also Halaire's there now, yeah. rather than last time I, I remember. Absolutely, I mean that that is a really time. strong forward line. It was it was Jonathan Codger, wasn't it, as the main as a striker? So there's quite a big difference in quality there, and they've got all the players. So yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be really tough. Yeah, and and career. and have jeopardy. You know, it's not as if I mean they are top of the group, but it's yeah. not as if they are certain. So yeah. it's not as if they're going to rest people or relax against Algeria. It. I mean, it, it's. I'm really looking forward to it. There's there is so much at stake. And, and obviously, you know quite a bit about Algeria. It's one of my favourite uh, chapters in your book, actually. And I wanted to just mention that is uh, about the Front de Liberation Nationale, the FLN, who, if people don't know the story, and you really should go and read this book, because this this chapter, but if, if I only one chapter, which I'm sure you wouldn't do, but anyway, um, uh, the FLN, they funded a football team um, to help promote nationalism um, and the nationalistic movement in Algeria. Um, and, and they basically called up players for their team who had been called up by France, you know, some for the 1958 World Cup. And, and these players left their cushy lives in Europe, basically, to fight for the nationalistic cause. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, there's a, it's such an unbelievable story, isn't it? It starts it, it, with some, it, it, someone's car in his, his back garden. It, it, it's an astonishing story. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's hard to put it into the modern context, but of course, Algeria was in the 1950s involved in a very brutal struggle against against the colonial rule of France, um, which eventually, um, you know, the war the war won them independence. And as and as a part of the war effort, and it was wasn't just for propaganda, you know, it was it was a really powerful movement. Um, Algerians who were eligible to play for France. Uh, professional footballers, as you say, a lot of them in, in leading very comfortable lives and real elite players, you know, potential stars for the 1958 World Cup with France, basically turned their back on France. In doing so, broke the law in France and, and could have been imprisoned in France to join the, the guerrilla effort and to do so in this very organized way of playing as a national team, which of course didn't have FIFA recognition because Algeria wasn't an independent country and they went around the world and played and they played really good football and showed that actually this, you know, this was a, 
a really good national team and it was people were committing to the cause. Um, I mean, it, yeah, and, and this went on for four years. It wasn't just a one-off, you know, protest mm. game. This was, you know, this was this was a set of well-organized... It became their club, didn't it, tours. essentially? Sorry? So I'm just saying it, but it became their club, if you like, in inverted commas, that they played for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes. I mean, a huge number of fixtures they played. I mean, they were invited more or less to, to, to countries on the other side of the Cold War at the time. So it was a lot of Eastern Europe. There was a lot of Southeast Asia, um, you know, countries that supported Algerian independence as a principle. And, you know, there, there was, it was a huge risk. Some of the players were imprisoned. Um, you know, when they were caught leaving France or went back to France or for being essentially traitors to the, to the French cause. Mm. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing story and you can't really think of a situation in, in which it could happen in the, in the modern world. No, um, but still, it also, but that's the thing. It's, it's not also not that long ago as well. That's the other thing that struck me about it. It's like, you know, the late 50s. You know, it's within uh, my my absolutely, and and I think that's absolutely important for how Algerian football regards itself, and particularly the national team now. You know, these are the inheritors of great footballers who've made a lot of sacrifices for the national cause, and you know that there's, I think there's pride. After after they won in 2019 in Egypt, um, there was quite a lot of referring back to the FLN team. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That, that yeah. Of... These teams are playing for history, you know, they mean it means so much, you know, it's uh, yeah, it means it means everything to them, doesn't it? And and another uh, chapter that I really like in, in the book is uh, a great great title. A lot of the the chapters have got great titles by the way. Um The Tortoise and the Hippo and it's about Cameroon uh, and one of the reasons the big reasons I got into well, my love of African football was the, you know, 1919 Roger Miller uh, and then reaching the quarterfinal of the World Cup against England, of course. Uh, and, you know, Cameroon have been very good, haven't they, so far? Very impressive. Do you think they are, that they're the favourites maybe at this stage? Um, yes, I would, because, I, I, you know, I think home advantage is important. Um, uh, you know, the crowds for Cameroon matches are very distinct from the crowds for the other games although I am encouraged to see that we have had decentish numbers in in some games not involving uh, Cameroon yeah I think you know they uh, slightly surprisingly good and up and at a minute and it's 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 good to see Vincent Abubakar you know at the top of his game um, you know he's quite a stalwart isn't he he's been he was he was inspiring when they won in 2017 and I always I, I I always feel that with any Cameroon centre forward, you have an awful lot to live up to. You know, you've got uh, Roger Miller, and then of course you have Samuel, who's yeah, yeah who's yeah. you know, who is is an absolute giant of world football, and 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 obviously extremely present at the moment because he's the president of the Footballers Federation. Um, and and I think you know I think Vincent Abubakar has been a, re a really good player for a long time, um, and you know he's he's obviously really up for this and he he's on form. I, I I think on paper you wouldn't say they are the strongest squad there, but mm. they seem to know what they're doing. They seem to be quite well organised. 
Um, and I, I don't know an awful lot about their new coach. Well, it's always a new coach for Cameroon, isn't it? They don't last very long. But um, yeah, you know, they seem to have a, a clear game plan. And I'd, I'd yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd fancy them to, to reach the final at least. And, mm. and, and I think, Ed, you were pointing out um, that, that their home record is, is quite something. Yeah, they haven't lost a home game in Yaoundé since 1988. That was before I was born. Yeah, is it really? If, I didn't realize. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and if 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 Ian would allow me, just because I'm such a big fan of Vincent Abubakar, and I've just I just want to put a bit of contest onto him. He currently plays his football in Saudi Arabia. And for a, a man, a lot of people would think at 29 is past his best. He's currently closing in on a very unique F, uh, record set by Samuel Eto. Now, Eto is the highest scorer in the history of the Africa Cup of Nations with 18 goals, but the highest he's ever scored in a major competition is five. Now, Abubakar has scored five already in the group stages. He's got potentially four more games to be able to break that. And again, like Ian said, in 2017, when Cameroon won it, they had something that has come across in the last two winners and that spirit. So last year, Algeria played with a certain spirit when nobody expected them. They had clutch moments. They had moments where like they played as a United force and they won games. In 2017 also, it was the same thing for Cameroon. And this year, for Cameroon, it happened quite strangely because in the first game against Burkina Faso, they went a goal down and they had to show character to come back from that and win. It happened again in their second game. They had to come back from a goal down. And normally when a team is able to come back from a very difficult situation like that, it tells you they've got something backed by home support, backed by incredible history. You cannot rule them out of eventually going all the way, can you? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And and, and, and that's right, you know, that that that's determination dare we call it that indomitable quality that seem to be that seem to be with them at the moment and the other team that's really impressed me and surprisingly because we think we were doing them in a little bit in the preview uh, was Nigeria who are obviously stacked full of attacking talent and have shown that albeit you know against not the greatest opposition so far do you think they could be a, de- a team that go you know pretty deep into the tournament maybe maybe even winning it uh, yeah, I, 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 I totally, I totally think so. And um, what I like about them, and what reminds me of, you know, very strong Nigerian teams, is is they've got wit, haven't they? They've got, you know, they've got skill in the wide positions, which is, uh, it's great to watch. And I, I, I think it's, you know, it's a sort of trademark of, of strong Super Eagles teams. And um, Raman, if you'll forgive me, as I used to live in Nigeria, so I quite like them. And, when they go <laughs> in the nation's yeah. cup. <laughs> yeah. um, also, I think uh, you know, I'd, uh, 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 it's for Nigeria to do well in Cameroon would be, you know, would be special for mm. hundreds of millions of people, wouldn't it? There is, you know, there is a, a border rivalry, just as they have, uh, they have a rivalry with Ghana. Um, so I, I imagine that's a motivation. Um, mm. And you know, they, uh, uh, I think Ed's right that we sort of suspected. In the in the lead up, the the change of manager quite late on, 
the the loss of Victor Ossiman with injury and then the confusion over Emmanuel Dennis. We thought, oh no, it's all going wrong and it's chaos. But you know, this is this is always a country with a great depth of talent. Um, and it, and you know a lot of very well established uh, elite players. So um, I like them, and I like you know I like the verve they've got about them at the moment. Mm. And it's particularly sort of a young generation. I think is coming through. You know, uh, uh, it's very encouraging for them. And like you say, they've got the resources that no other country's got in Africa in terms of you know people anyway. Um, and I think I, I was going to ask you what you, what do you think in terms of. A t- an African team that could, you know, maybe, well, let's say just the semi-finals of the World Cup first. Do you think they've got the biggest potential to do that, you know, soonest potentially? Or is there another country you could see that, that could do that? Um, I'd, I'd, well, I, and, and, you know, they, they they almost always disappoint you. But I just, I think, I think Morocco on paper, their first 11, and, and you know, they've, yeah. they've, they've gradually got things sorted out here after a, slightly tepid start um i think morocco in qatar if they've got their full resources and perhaps if if they settle their differences with well if they yeah, get there yeah they still have to play the no cup absolutely. of course yeah as as, as as they all do i mean you know we, uh, let's not forget that there is there's there's another piece of tension hanging over this afcon isn't there which is you know the draw for the world cup and a particularly brutal last qualifying round for the World Cup happening slap bang in the middle of it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, in, in, in some ways, uh, it's not much consolation for the Ghanaians, but at least they might have some slightly more cheery news. It's next weekend, isn't it? The draw. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, sure that's going to be awaited and, you know, with bated breath. And, and yeah, it might, yeah. I imagine it could affect teams, you know, at the tournament itself, you know. Yeah, I mean, it could. There's, it's very plausible thing. that you'll be preparing for a knockout tie against the country, and then, as you're preparing, you discover that you've got to play them again. In. I just wanted to say something about Nigeria because they've, for me, they've been the most impressive side out of the teams that were tipped to excel, given the challenges and the troubles and the bonuses and players not showing up, Emmanuel Dennis and all that. They've just stumbled on a system that it's is getting the spiegels fly as high as they have and they have players that have disappointed in the last two years but for some reason are beginning to actually find their really good form Ola Aina formerly of Chelsea playing really really well also as a fullback Joe Aribo plays his football in Scotland and a lot of Nigerians have always tapped him to be a very wonderful midfielder He's come into this competition forming a covalent ball with Leicester City's Wilfred and Didi. And they just seem to be the platform on which the Super Eagles are playing with so much energy and pace and width, like Ian just said. And that's a true mark of a Super Eagle team. And that's topped up by the remarkable finishing ability of H.E. Ehianacho, who has been really, really also good on and off the ball. So he's He's made up for the loss of somebody like Odion Igalo. And all of that has been put together by Augustine Iguavo. And, and it's also very important that I just make this point that even though Augustine came in 
for Raw at the last minute. He'd always been the football director, the technical director of the Nigerian um, Football Federation. So you kind of understand that he he knows what to expect from the team. And so taking up the role in the last minute would not have been as challenging as somebody knew was coming into it. It will be interesting to see if he can win the competition. Will they will they then go on to, to put him aside and bring in the new coach? Mm, yeah, that will, that will be interesting. And, and yeah, just quickly to finish, then, Ian, uh, this, this tournament's had a real impact for, for the minnows, if you like, the, the smaller countries we, we spoke a little bit about earlier. But has that always been the case? It always seems to be a country which comes to the fore at AFCON. You know, there's been quite a few prominent ones, you know, Madagascar last time. Uh, but can you think of any other famous examples off the top of your head, you know, in, in, in previous tournaments? Yeah. Well, I, I would I would almost say um, that um, actually no, it's probably not in an Afghan. But but the rise of of, of Togo, um, you know, the year they qualified for the World Cup, that was that was quite sudden, wasn't it? it was it was you know yeah it was as if, as if, yeah that was I absolutely I saw them at the World Cup yeah. actually that but but gen, just generally it seems that the standard of of the smaller countries or less you know countries with their historic results in in football have have really improved. Yes. Uh, well, I, I, oh, sorry. The other the other example is Cape Verde. Yeah. Um, you know, twenty thirteen. Um, you know, who uh, I think that was their first tournament, and it was combined with almost qualifying for the World Cup, if I remember. Yeah. And they've sort of consolidated. You know, they're they're yeah. a respected team now. Um. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and, and it's great, isn't it? And it's also great that the net has got wider. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when a lot of teams simply didn't enter the qualifiers because they didn't have the resources, you know, the travel was too much. Um, the other thing, of course, is that you do have a much more active um, seeking out of the diaspora now, you know, yeah. so that the Camorra's team is, you know, there's, it's, I wouldn't call it recruitment because they're, you know, they're patriotic Camorans, but finding, finding players of, you know, who've been, away for second generation and so on. Yeah, um, from the, Jacks, the Jack Charlton school of recruitment, a lot of it, isn't it? Um, yes, um, yes, although, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough, yes. But, you know, it's great for these countries to have their, their, their moment in the spotlight and, you know, it can only be good for, for African football. Listen, Ian, thank you so much for joining us. So we're about to run out of time, but I really appreciate yes, it. It's been really, it's been really fascinating. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, and, uh, continue. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. Cheers. Take care. Thanks so much to Ian for joining us. I'm sure you'll all agree it was a fascinating insight. I hope that you've all enjoyed the episode and remember to tune into the knockout stages of AFCON over the next couple of weeks. It should be really worth watching. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening.